Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified this morning. I am really pleased to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Angelica Brooks, and she's a new PI, kind of, two years, two years old PI, but she's so much more than that, and we're going to be talking about all the activities she's involved in, and I don't know, how she got involved in them, and what she's doing with those, and all of that. Welcome to the show, Angelica. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, what made you want to become a PI? Well, I wanted to become a PI because I wanted to be able to devote more time to cases that I wasn't exactly able to when I was connected to law enforcement. So, Mm -hmm. being a PI allowed me to dig deeper into those cases and um, help assist the families in a way I felt, you know... um, I guess more so able to than when I was connected with law enforcement. So, um, how long were you in law enforcement? What was your role there? Um, when I was in law enforcement, I was a crime scene investigator. So, okay. I've pretty much done connected to, you know, with law enforcement. I've done everything from autopsies to crime scene to um, forensic investigations. So, I've, I've done... <laughs> I've done it all. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, that's good. So you bring a a wide range of experience to the private investigation business. And so um, did you leave law enforcement then and then decide to become a PI? How did that happen? Um, I actually decided to become a PI. It was like, (laughs) it's always been in the back of my mind, but I've always had that fear of actually like diving in and doing it because I've always felt kind of like it was like a man's world kind of. And so with the encouragement of my husband, he's like, no, 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 you can do this. You've got, you know, look at all this experience you have. So after that one conversation that late night, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. So um, I started with a PI agency doing insurance claims, and it was kind of, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was good, kind of boring. but it wasn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, once I was able to dive into those, you know, uh, I started taking those missing persons cases. That's when I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. Okay. So what what kinds of cases do you specialize in now? Now I specialize in cold cases and missing persons cases. Wow. That's huge. That is a very hard road. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's yes. that's very exciting because with your background, um, your background in in uh, crime scene evaluations and all of that really is a helpful skill to have in doing cold cases, particularly. Yes, and we've actually started diving into some um, wrongful conviction investigations as well because all that ties in together. I mean, it's. All those are my total background. So, sure. Do, uh, do you have an innocence? You're you're in Montgomery. You said Montgomery, Alabama. Yes. Yes. So do you do you have an innocence project there? We don't. We don't have an innocence project really? here. I know um, that a lot of the a lot of the. I used to work in a prison system as well, and when the inmates in Montgomery, Montgomery Alabama would write um, their letters out. They would go to, like, Atlanta or New York. So I know there's not one, per se, here. Well, you need to start one. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have enough on your plate already, right? (laughs) I know, but I have a team, so that helps. (laughs) So do you work work at all with the Equal Justice Initiative and Brian Stevenson? I have not worked with them. Um, I know they primarily have a team of attorneys, um, not necessarily private investigation for what I'm seeing. Right, right. But you know what? That's a good uh, resource for starting an innocence project. <laughs> Just thinking ahead here. Uh, okay, yes. I'll leave that alone. 
Um, so, <laughs> Angelica, what is your, the, since you're the Alabama representative of Human Rights Education USA, what is that? I haven't heard of that before. Sure, the Human Rights of Education, what it is, is a group of, you know, a group of believers of human rights and activists for making sure that students and school are being educated on their human rights and also those within the community are being educated on their human rights. So um, part of my mission as now being a committee member is to make sure that within the Silent Voices Project, I'm reaching out into the community and educating people on an even deeper level holding classes so that they know what the rights they are entitled to and what their rights are, you know, in general as a, just as a human being, what you're entitled mm-hmm. to. A lot of people don't know, but just making sure that, you know, there people are educated in the community on a deeper level, understanding what their human rights are, because that, that ties into um, situations where their rights might be messed with as far as like, you know, human trafficking and, you know, um, kidnappings, things like that. So just being aware of what their rights are as a person, it does help um, when some of these crimes are committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you mentioned the Silent Voices Project. Tell us about that. Sure. The Silent Voices Project is my organization that I started. And what it does is provide free or minimal cost services to family members when it comes to missing persons, cold case, being able to look into their cases. Um, We also have our Empower program, which is for women that have been victims of domestic violence and abuse, um, and it gives them the opportunity to participate in a program. It's kind of like a group therapy program, um, and it's run by me, and it kind of builds, it breaks you down to deal with those issues that, may have caused some pause in your life um, when dealing with abuse and how you see the world. And it kind of builds you up and empowers you to like overtake everything and believe that you're, you know, feel like you're unstoppable. So I'm really Mm -hmm. passionate about that program. And then we've just launched New Beginnings, which is going to be our resource center for women, drop-in and resource center for women that are abused um, or that are sexual assault victims or victims of human trafficking, a place where they can come for resources and comfort. And then hopefully that our goal is with them coming into that center that they'll want to transition their lives to do, you know, to change it around, to do better. So we have that along with um, our Operation Freedom and Recovery. And that is um, where women can come. Well, we go out into the communities. We're out in the streets, you know, in the hotels, on the um, on the ground force impacting our neighborhood, trying to make a change for our community. So firsthand, going up to, you know, human trafficking victims, going up to potential victims, um, community members, educating the, you know, the community on the awareness when it comes to human trafficking and what things to look out for, things like that. That is amazing. And you never sleep, I guess, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, while I'm still launching, I'm team no sleep over here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> well, sleep's, sleep's overrated anyway. What the heck? Um, so I know. What, <laughs> what does your husband think now that he encouraged you to become a PI and you now you've got your fingers in all of these different programs? What does he think now? Now he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're doing all of this. <laughs> And and by the way, how about some time for me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I run a very strict schedule during the day, but I make sure my evenings are clear. So. <laughs> Good you. So so you have children, right? Yes, I have four. Yes. You have four children. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, I, I'm. Okay, I can't. I'm not even going to get my head around that. So you have four children, and you're doing all these, and you're brand new PI. Okay. All yes. right. <laughs> okay. So um, let's let's back up. So you were at, uh, I guess, Escam- is it Escambia County Sheriff's Office in Pensacola? Yeah. Were you? Yeah. Yeah. And you were assigned to the crime scene unit there. How how, how long? Yes, were I you was. There? Yeah, how long were you there, Angelica? 
I was there about three years. So, yeah, about that's three a, years. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a tough assignment. You you see the you yes. see the worst. The worst. Yeah. Yes, I've seen everything. You know, you know every kind of crime you could imagine. I've, <laughs> I've either I've either been a lead on it or you know assisted with it in some in some manner. So, um, definitely a tough job, but a very big eye opener to um, just what is going on in the world, um, what's going on in our community. Um, it definitely gives you some insight into people and personalities. You don't look at people the same. <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. And then uh, then you moved to Alabama then after Pensacola, and that's how you got involved in law enforcement in Alabama. Yes. Well, when I came over here to Alabama, I got involved with um, doing forensic autopsies. So pretty much here I was doing, you know, um, as a forensic pathology associate, we were doing the whole autopsy. And then the the physician was just kind of, you know, um, labeling a cause of death. I mean, of death, I'm sorry, cause of death. So, um, yeah, we we did it all. We do it all here. And And oh my so, goodness! Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's let's talk about um, what's your focus, Angelica. Where where do you want to go with all these projects? Because I know you. It sounds like you have a global plan of where you're going. Yes. How would you guess? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just speculating, yes. actually. My goal is I would like to um, implement a Silent Voices project into um, different states. That is my goal. Um, I kind of want the Silent Voices project to become a household name. So a lot of the cases that I take on, they come from different um states, different areas, and, and that's ultimately my goal is, is to have a, a Silent Voices project known in every state. And that would be a project or at least, like... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> so that's a, so you would be doing the, the street work as well? With, is, is that what... Would you be promoting that as long as, as well as what you were saying, the empowerment, the women's empowerment program and the um, freedom program, freedom and recovery program? Yes, 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 yes. So I would be, you know, um, of course, there would be a team that would be in that area, but my goal is to have it in multiple locations. Hmm. Interesting. As a as a community program. As a community because, program. You know, mm-hmm. So how do you do that? You get the help of amazing volunteers and people that are just as passionate about um, cold cases, missing persons, you know, the same thing it, that share that passion. And then um, you kind of just, you start branching out into those other areas. Um, like right now, I have somebody that's just about to get her PI license in Missouri, and she's willing to branch out as VP there. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a matter of making those connections with people who are just that committed in the community because, I mean, there's enough cold cases for all of us here. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of uh, – do you get any kind of resistance from law enforcement on a cold case? Because you have to have – kind of have to have their participation. Yes. Um, a lot of what I get here, you'd be amazed, because some of the cases that I get, the parents, um, the families have gone and pulled everything from law enforcement, so I don't really have to go there for anything. Um, they, they'll pull the whole case. Um, mm-hmm. All the, Not just, um, you know, like the evidence list, the case notes, um, everything and pile it, you know, and just send it to me. And then I have all of that to review. Um, law enforcement, they do assist on some, some they're resistant, but for the most part, they've been like, oh my gosh, call me back if you get something else. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had that much pushback, I would say. 
from law enforcement. Now, some cases of corruption within law enforcement, um, that yeah. those are the ones where I'm kind of met with the rejection, where it's like, of course, you dropped the ball. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So, Angela, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to get into this a little bit more because I'd like to know how you go about, um, when you get a cold case, how you go about uh, starting at your steps and all of that. And I also want to know how sure. the family family gets these records. So we'll be right back with Angelica Brooks. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're back with Angelica Brooks, and we're talking about her uh, various projects. But the thing that I'm interested in right now is the cold case investigations that she's gotten involved in. She has a foundation uh, that handles that. And so, Angelica, tell me, when you get a you, – you are usually get a call from a family. Is that right? Is that how it starts? Yes. Yes. Okay. So yes. Take, either get a call or an email. All right. So, take us through the process. Okay, so typically when we get a case, we um, kind of digest everything about it. We ask the family for any information that they have, and then we kind of go through what they've given us on the case as far as um, the police records, anybody who's listed in there as victims or witnesses. We kind of, you know, go through and try to recreate the crime scene, try to picture how, you know, how it might have happened, Um we also go through all the witnesses, anybody who law enforcement might not have interviewed. You know, we dive into that as well to see um, if we can get any other potential leads. We start researching social media, things like that. We keep, the, we keep the, you know, diving into the case just as we would as if we were law enforcement initially getting the case. And then when we find the leads, then we um, compile all of our research and everything together with a nice pretty bow and we, you know, give it back to the family and then submit it to law enforcement as well so that they can have, um, you know, the information as far as the new leads or potential information that we've gotten on the case. Now, do you so find that, that opened. yeah, do you find that the family typically has a theory of what happened? They do. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do. They, they always either... have that. They <laughs> they do. And so when I start conducting my investigation, I welcome all the resources that they give, but I don't give much out. Um, mm-hmm. They'll give me people to call, to contact. I'll speak with them, get little bits of information, and I try not to um, give them the specifics back, um, especially not in the beginning because they could jeopardize the whole entire case um, by going to that victim or going to this person and that person. So sometimes the less they know, the better. But as long as they know, hey, we're working on this and we found this lead, then they're, they're, they're happy. They're 100% happy as long as something is being done. Um, but as far as the, you know, the ingredients, the gritty part of the case, I keep that away because they could jeopardize the whole thing. And they do have their theories. And do you tell <laughs> and they'll bounce you tell them, them off of me all day long. Yeah, <laughs> right. So do you tell them up front that that's exactly what you're going to do? Yes. Yes. And so they're very well aware. Um, they're like, okay, we're going to just let you handle everything. But, you know, they still come back. Um, they never exactly go away. But right. <laughs> they let of you course. do your thing. Well, and, <laughs> you know. They're in the corner. For sure. If you put their, yourself in their shoes, they finally, they probably, because some of these cases are 30 years old, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so put yourself yes. in their shoes. They've probably been trying to get somebody to listen to them for 30 years, and now they have an ear. <laughs> yes, yes. You know? And somebody's yeah. looking to yes. So you can, you can see why. Like the, seems like absolutely. what? Absolutely. It, it seems like, like I said, the, the, ever since we've been growing, it's like the more cases that are coming in are unreal. So. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. So we, so we have to stay focused and stay, you know. So I'm really interested in um, how much the data the family has, uh, because that's really hard to get on a case that uh, is technically still under investigation. So how do they get those records? I don't know whether we would be so successful in California, for sure, than as you guys are in yes. Alabama. Yeah. Yes. So... Some of these are not all in the same location. Um, some of them, like the wrongful conviction, he's already been convicted. So everything is actually public record. So everybody should have be able to pull, you know, the the, the basics of the case. Um, but you know, as far as the law enforcement report, things like that. And we can kind of dig from there because a lot of the cases that I work, the communities are kind of small, so they know. Everybody, they have um, pages up, like remembering so-and-so on social media. So mm-hmm. you can collect a lot of leads out of that. Um, one one of the cases that I had that she's been missing, um, mom was able to get the law enforcement report, things like that. But she has a missing person, you know, a page for her daughter. So people would comment on there, their tips, and then she would turn their information or I would see it. And I'd immediately call them and that would get the ball rolling. One thing that I've noticed in the community is a lot of the citizens in the community are not law enforcement friendly. But if you have a bubbly private investigator that's talking to you on the phone, they'll be way more, you know, um, Uh (laughs) way more into talking and giving you information than they necessarily would law enforcement showing up their house or law enforcement calling them, period. Um, And so that's kind of how I get a lot of my information because I was... Law enforcement um, on this particular missing persons case, they had gone out door to door, talked to neighbors, talked to everybody. Um, but I was able to find the old lady where she was escaping to um, from the guys that were holding her hostage, and they were they, they were able to give me information about about her coming over, her demeanor, how she was feeling, um, where that new family might have moved to, things like that. That typically that neighborhood does is not law enforcement friendly. They don't talk to the law. So the mm-hmm. fact that they were comfortable enough to give me that information um, kind of makes my investigation a lot easier. For sure. And are, are you doing most of it by telephone then? Some by telephone, some, some in person if it's local, of course. But a lot uh-huh. of it is by telephone, yes. Okay. And so you're getting a good response. Now, just curiosity – 
have you found a difference in people being willing to cooperate since we were since we shut down for the coronavirus, or has is there no difference? There's no difference, but I do have like, you know, people that are like, I'll talk to the investigator, but I'm not talking to the family members because, you know, some family members would try to dig and say, hey, what do you know? And they're like, I'm not talking to you. Just give me um, the PI's number and I'll talk to her. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had some of that, too, um, which I can understand. So what they might know, they might not want the family to know. So. Okay, so then, all right, so you've done all your investigation. Um, you've gone yeah. as far as you think you can go, and maybe, and, and you have, say, some solid leads. Then you give it to law enforcement? I do. I give it to law enforcement. Um, with that case, I was able to pinpoint her last location, who she was with, um, that she was there against her will, different things like that. And law enforcement was like, oh, my gosh, how'd you, you know, find all this? Call me if you get something else. So it, you know, like I said, it went over smoothly. So there was no, I haven't really had any bad luck with law enforcement. Good. That's good. That's good to hear. That's very good to hear because sometimes they're they're a little little territorial. Um, Yes, yes. But I suspect it helps that you are a former law enforcement uh, person. I'll, I'll suspect that does help. Yes, it does. It does because you don't have this, this you know, um, theory person, you know, trying to come up with all these mixed up theories yeah. as to why these are actual witnesses that they can go back out and talk to. Mm-hmm. So, so I know you haven't been doing this uh, a whole long time, but... Uh, do you have some success stories you could share with us? Um, we do have some success stories as far as finding leads and evidence, but um, one of the particular cases that's in um, that we that I did way back um, about a year, a couple years ago, in um, Milton, Florida. That one was a hard one because we had got so far between me and the mom, we were able to get so much evidence and so much to show that um, there was some wrongdoing in the case, but law enforcement, you know, refused to open the case up. So um, they said it was a suicide, but it actually in reality was not. Um, Mm -hmm. But then getting, getting them to, I think that's another part too, is when they know when they've done something wrong or there's corruption in that area, trying to get them to reopen the cases up is, Right. Kind of where we hit a stumbling block, too. There might be more leads and stuff that doesn't match up to anything in their reports, but getting them to reopen it, I think, is um, that was like the first stumbling block I hit was there. Um, Everybody Mm -hmm. else has been more acceptable of, you know, the leads and the information. But I do know with that one in particular, they're like, we're not reopening this. So, um, yeah, you know, that's um, actually that's been uh, often one of my frustrations on a case that the family calls you to do a suicide investigation because they don't believe the results that law enforcement, as soon as they decided it was a suicide, there pretty much wasn't anything done. So so all of You're the right. evidence is lost. The real evidence is lost. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, gunshot residue, the uh, the blood spatter, you know, all of that stuff. So it's a frustration because yeah. it seems to me like every and every death should be investigated like a homicide to begin with. I mean, I know that isn't realistic yeah. from a law enforcement standpoint, but there's a lot of, it seems there are a lot of But that's the way loss. I was told. That's the way I was taught when I was doing okay. crime scene investigations was to investigate it like it's a homicide to you know different. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't happen. <laughs> and it and it yeah. just never has made any sense to me um, because it's very frustrating when you're the private investigator coming in with the family, maybe even, you know, just a few months later that there's nothing there that you can. I mean, you can have a lot of speculation. Yeah. You can might be able to even go back to the crime scene, but everything's gone. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then you as a, you know, having 
done forensics before, you're like, this isn't right. Yeah. yeah. This isn't correct. <laughs> uh, and okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, when you've taken it to law enforcement, have they, do you, you felt like they took you seriously and that they were on it and they actually started out uh, following up on your leads? I think in some instances, um, yes, because then I'll hear the family talk about it. Hey, they called, they reached out, they said, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some, there are some that don't. Um, and I guess that's just, I'm starting to learn that, you know, not to get overwhelmed and upset when they don't, you know, just try to find different avenues because there are other ways um, with the family. They've gone to, social, you know, to the news. They've gone to media. They've gone to, mm-hmm. you know, different things to get the pot stirred. So, um, Do they go up the chain of command? Ways. Do they go up the chain of command as well? Do you ever advise them to do that? Yes. Yes. I've advised them to do that. Um, in Milton, we went all the way, the mom went all the way up to um, the sheriff, all the way to the state attorney's office, all the way to the attorney general. But it was what, almost as if they didn't want to step on each other's toes. Right. And mm-hmm. was she successful at all? Where does it stand right now? It still stands where it is. I mean, we have, I mean, evidence showing that it wasn't, it's definitely not a suicide. Um, witness statements, um, confirmation from employers that they were not where they were supposed to be when it came to their work day. I mean, we have a lot, but it's it's at a standstill with their, she's still fighting it. And then what role do you play at that point? At that point, um, well, once the evidence and everything like that has kind of circled through, I kind of, you know, and we've gotten the evidence and witnesses, I'm kind of at a standstill until somebody reaccepts the case. Um, there's not much more that I can do beyond that point, um, besides assisting with finding a possible attorney, different somebody to get it back into the court system. And so um, it's very hard when you hit a wall where everybody's tied together. They call it, what, the good old boys system or whatever, when everybody's all <laughs> <Yeah>. linked. <laughs> yeah. And how do you crack that open? Because yeah, everybody's that's, got that's each other's back. That's the part backs. I have not mastered yet. <laughs> okay. Well, when you when you find out, yeah. when you when you find out, let me know, will you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's so frustrating because, um, you know, I guess it boils down to uh, justice is only happens sometimes. You know. It yes. doesn't, that's just doesn't yes. happen for everybody. No. And it's the craziest part because I try to explain to people, it might not be the police department in general. It's who's running it. So like when you see big time cases like um, Breonna Taylor, something like that might not happen in another department because they're like, oh, no, you did this, you're out. But in another town, they might be like, well... Because it's so much discretion, so much peer review, so much um, one judge may be given, two people may be charged with the same thing, but one judge in one state might say, uh, this is a life sentence for you, and some one other judge may say probation. You know, so you just, I mean, it's... It is crazy. It's really crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been doing this 35 years now, and, you know, you can be, you can... You can be arrested for a crime in one county and 10 miles over in another county and the charges are going to be different and the results are going to be different. And it's so frustrating. Yes, yes. I think there needs to be some sort of level ground because there is so much discretion across. I mean, there's so much discretion. You can kind of do, I mean, as long as it's within the realm of, Whatever the punishment qualifications are, I mean, you—they have that freedom, that discretion. Well, and it's the, and it's actually the person, that, the the charging practices that at that department, as well. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and a hundred percent agree. 
Oh gosh. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting us frustrated here. So we're going to take another quick break, and Elika will be right back because I have a lot more to ask you about. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declass. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. So I'm talking with Angela, Angelica Brooks here, um, Montgomery, Alabama, and you know, she has so many projects going, I don't even know what to ask her next, but I think I'll go this direction, Angelica. <laughs> um, so you are talking about uh, one of your current research projects is uh, pulling national data together uh, on Nigerian child migrant survivors. So talk about that a little bit, because that's really unusual. Yes. So a lot of what I do, um, we have, I've expanded my organization. So we do have a portion of it in Nigeria. So um, we made the connection through one of the professional women's groups that I'm in. And so over there, I do a lot with... um, human trafficking victims, more so than child migration. So a lot with human trafficking victims and um, victims or children that have been, you know, displaced for whatever reason. So they do a whole lot of work over there. They have a whole team. So, and it's um, an organization called Denny Social Welfare Hub. And what they do is a lot of work with, children that are displaced, children that are human trafficking victims or victims of uh, human trafficking. So I give courses through them through Zoom. You know, I send things to them as far as um, I send things to them as far as, um, you know, sewing machines, different materials so that they can take up and learn a trade so that they can do better for them, their lives ever since they've come out of the human trafficking realm. And over there, it's more than just sexual exploitation. It's also um, labor trafficking and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work a lot with them, um, do a lot of seminars with them to educate them. And then my kids speak for kids beauty. Um, the app for kids bullying and kids that are being abused in Nigeria um, that also runs through me. And I have a staff over there that handles all of those as well. 
I'm calls that come into the intake center and things like that. Okay, and so what? It, tell me again what that's called. It's uh, any social welfare. What it's is it called? D e n n. It's D e n n y. Denny. Oh, like the restaurant. Denny okay. Social Welfare Hub. And Why so is it I called that? On their board. Why is it called that? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Why is it called Denny that, Social Welfare the, Hub? That's that's the name that the develop the one who actually um, developed. That's her nickname. So it's it's actually her organization, and I serve as a board member on it. Okay. Okay. Good. So. That's yeah, just that's, the name uh, they've created over there. They. <laughs> all right, and let, then you then you say here in your article that I read, uh, you also have a monthly subscription box of self defense gear for women. I do. So that's another one of my little passion things. So that uh, my goal with uh, Natalia, and it's both of my daughters' names put together, Natalia and Ava. So what it is is a subscription box for women to be able to protect themselves um, to lessen the chances of them being human trafficked. So I was thinking, you know, what can I do? What can I put out there for women to be able to better protect themselves? And so I developed the subscription box, which comes with taser, pepper spray, and um, a lipstick alarm. And, I mean, they're loud. You can hear it for over a mile away, but Mm -hmm. it is very effective in deterring those type of situations. Okay. And that, do you have that on a website someplace? Yes, it's on the website. Um, If you visit www.thesilentvoicesproject.org and then you can um, go to about the founder and all of the single projects that I have are under there and Natalia is one. (laughs) <laughs> okay, it's just, <laughs> and then, and then, you have a local TV show. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, your TV show is in Montgomery, yes. and what is it called? Yes, it is, it's called um, The Justice Show, so I talk about some of the cases that I may be, um, got my hands wrapped around, or I just may be talking about what's going on in in the world in general, as it relates to human trafficking, um, human trafficking, um, human rights, you know, any type of civil issues or cold cases or missing persons, they're all talked about on that episode, on, on those episodes. Um, so I've kind of pulled back from the local television network here and I've started putting it on YouTube just recently because I'm starting to find out that my world, my base is more worldwide than just itty bitty mm-hmm. Montgomery. So, right. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to create a platform where everybody can see it. So, yeah. So I if we were too. to, <laughs> yeah, okay. So if we were to summarize your projects, it would be uh, your focus. Sounds like your number one focus, primary is uh, is human trafficking. Yes, human trafficking, yes. women, women empowerment, um, uh, women's self-defense, human rights. Did I get it? And human rights, yes. And then there's one more. I just uh, one more thing that wraps up the whole thing is um, the School of Criminology and Criminal Justice. So I've taken my education and um, compiled it into separate courses that people in the community or whomever are able to take. Um, And it's kind of set up, you know, like regular school courses, but there's also that as well with classes such as, you know, criminology or human rights or human trafficking. Anybody who wants more education or is just interested in how to work cold cases, there are classes on it all and it's kind of like a self-paced class okay i'm gonna right now while we're talking i'm gonna look up your <laughs> your website sure. um, so it's <laughs> silent voices silent voices project if i just do that it'll come up yes the silent voices project.org okay 
Yeah, here we go. So, folks, if you are interested in being an activist, setting up a Silent Voices uh, satellite in your city or anything else that you want to know about a Silent Voices Project, you can go to this website. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty robust. Um, talks about human trafficking. It's, it's got the blog to the radio station. It's got a bunch of stuff on it. So, and if, uh, and if folks are interested in getting involved in your activism, Angelica, should I give them your email? Yes, they can have the email or um, the email, or they can reach out at um, 334-595-9635. Okay, 334-595-9635. Yes. Okay, and you want to give, go ahead and give your email? Want to go ahead and give your email? Sure, the email is Angelica, A-N-G-E. L-I-C-A-B at T-S-V-R-P dot org. Great. Because I, I suspect there may be some people that are that may be interested in this. Um, it's fascinating mm-hmm. what you're doing. It's, uh, yes. it's huge what you're doing. And the fact that you have uh, law enforcement and private investigator background is really helpful. So have you heard yes. of... Uh, the Criminal Investigators Training Council? No, I haven't I'm sorry, Criminal yeah. Defense Investigators Training Council. It's also out of Florida. Uh, you should look it up. Um, okay. They do training on criminal defense and forensics. And they, they do it online as well as uh, in person. Have you... Have you done any personal seminars or anything like personal trainings? I have done personal trainings with, con- with yes, for myself. Yes, I have. I mean, no, I mean for others. Oh, yes, in the community like a- with families, um, but mainly it's been in the human trafficking realm. Um, besides these courses that I give online, I have two cold case classes going right now and then one human trafficking. Okay. All right. So uh, Brandon Perrin is the person that um, is the creative mind behind Criminal Defense Investigators Training Council. Um, I'm a member of that. I recommend you look into it, and I recommend you connect with Brandon Perrin um, because, first of all, you're in adjacent states, and uh, uh, but I think you, you guys might find some, a lot of commonalities in what you're doing. Wow. Okay. Thank you. I would yeah. definitely reach out. Yeah. He's. Uh, it's a really. It's a really good program. I highly recommend it to everybody who's uh, involved in the criminal defense arena. He also has a uh, a co- uh, course called Un- Uncovering. Let's see. How does it go? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Uncovering reasonable doubt, it's called. I did, I'm sorry, I got too close to that. Ah, yes. Yeah, uncovering re- reasonable doubt, the component method. So I uh, just want to recommend that to you because it's really good training. And I think you find some benefit from it. Not that you need it, but uh, there you go. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there that's listening today that might either want to get involved in working on a cold case investigation or a family member that wants to do something about their own cold case situation, what recommendations would you make? The recommendation that I would make would definitely be um, getting the help from a private investigator or an organization that kind of specializes in that um, because sometimes, like I said, I hear a lot of families that say they're met with like silence. Whenever they go to law enforcement, they won't even talk to them. They'll hang up the phone. So um, just getting somebody who has some expertise or experience in the field to look into the case, I think would be beneficial to any family members and try to get as much of those um, public records as you can. And maybe sometimes people just also need a reality check. 
you know, say maybe it really was a suicide, but they haven't come to that conclusion themselves. Yes, yes. So that certainly happens, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it does. A lot of times. Or, <laughs> or, or there isn't any other where, there's nowhere else to go. At this point in time, maybe it wasn't a suicide, but there's no place else to go with it. Yes. So, so I, getting I think, the families to kind of release that until there is um, can be tricky too. Um, yeah, and I, I think it seems like, uh, just in talking to you, Angelica, it seems like one of the big, uh, one of the great skills that you offer is being able to talk people through things and be a friendly ear and allow them to process whatever's going on with with whatever their situation is, whether it's human trafficking or cold case or any of these other projects, you know, they don't feel like they have a voice, for example, empowerment of women, all of those things. You're providing that ear that is willing to listen to them and process. And that's a huge yes. strength. That's a huge strength. Yes. Which is something that I hear a lot from, you know, the women that I come into contact with or the family. Nobody will listen. Mm-hmm. It's the, they're right. Nobody will listen. It's very true. Uh, yeah. Yes. They can, you know, they can make a lot of calls. Unfortunately, they can make a lot of calls and, uh, you know, they get shined on pretty frequently. So uh, I'm happy that, that you're there and that you can provide that voice and you're setting up a structure across the country because I can see this blossoming across the country that those voices can be heard in a lot of different places. Absolutely. That's my goal. <laughs> oh, good. Well, Angelica, thank you so much for being on the show today. This, it's re- so refreshing to see some, somebody with so much energy and involved in so many things. I wish you much success, and uh, let's stay in contact. Thank you so much. It's been great being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank- You're welcome. Thank you for being on the show. All right. Take care. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 